Hello, and welcome to Brave Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Gollett, and I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode and the next episode. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit for a couple episodes about um, our relationship with the Bible, because I know that for many people, myself included, it's been up and down, back and forth, love, hate. And so this episode, I want to come at it from um, one angle that I think is pretty interesting, A couple of years ago, it was in 2019, at the church I was at, I was asked to preach in a series on the parables. Now, the parables are a series of lessons that Jesus taught uh, his disciples and he taught his followers while he lived here on the earth. And so the whole purpose of this series was to be able to look at the parables and hear the twist that his audience would have heard. So each parable contains something that's familiar to the audience and then something that might be unfamiliar or seem odd to them. And that contains the twist or the lesson, the curveball sort of, that Jesus was trying to surprise his listeners with, a lesson that they weren't expecting. And so I was asked to participate and to choose a parable. Uh, At that point, since it was the summer of 2019, and this was in July, it was just before I was going to go on that missions trip with Destiny Rescue to Cambodia and Thailand uh, to meet girls who who had been rescued out of human trafficking and to witness their efforts, you know, at prevention and restoration and uh, also, you know, doing sting operations in karaoke bars and uh, brothels. So my orientation at the time was totally, not that it's not now, but more so then, in a a very narrow focus, my orientation was very specifically on justice. And so I was really excited to be asked to participate and I wanted to find something in the Bible that confirmed my situation in life, my circumstances at that time. And so part of what I want to talk about in this episode and the next is when we approach the Bible, looking for what we want to find in it, even going so far sometimes as, and and maybe even oftentimes, going so far as to manipulate the word, manipulate God's word, what belongs to him and is given as a gift to us to serve our needs, to serve our ends, to fit into our mission statement, to fit into our goals and brands. So I picked the parable of the persistent widow, or it's called the parable of the unjust judge. And so let's go ahead and read it. Now, those of you who've heard my podcast before, read my blog or read my book, you know that I'm most often in the English Standard Version. And I wanted to address this because as we're talking about our relationship with the Bible, we also need to take into consideration the translation that we're reading and trusting, really. And so the ESV is not the best and it's not the worst. It sometimes takes into account that there were women in the audiences that Paul and other apostles and prophets and Jesus were speaking to. And sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Those things are are really important to me. Uh, Just the historical and cultural accuracy of the audience being represented. Um, So I, my husband bought bought a Bible a few years ago and He didn't like it, so I took it, and I think we have an embarrassment of riches with so many Bibles that I'm not switching to a new one anytime soon, 
And so I'm sticking with the one I have, which is an English Standard Version, and it's still the Word of God. But I wanted to address that. I wanted to point that out that we can find a Bible in any translation <laughs> to tell us what we want to hear. And I'm sticking with the Bible that doesn't always tell me what I want to hear, or a translation, I should say, that doesn't always tell me what I want to hear because it doesn't belong to me. It's a gift, and I hear the Word in it. But I just wanted to address that really quick as an aside. So the parable of the persistent widow is only found in Luke. Some parables are found in all the Gospels or a couple. But this one's only found in Luke. It's Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. I'm going to go ahead and read that in the English Standard Version. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I fear neither God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to the elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, will the Son of Man comes? Will he find faith on earth? Now, again, I want to bring it back to the whole point of this series I was asked to speak in on the parables. It was to challenge us to hear the parables the way Jesus's audience or the disciples would have heard it, with their cultural understanding, uh, with what was normal and familiar to them, but maybe not to us. At the time, I was approaching this parable wanting it to be about justice. That's what I was looking for. I wanted to see, you know, I did my research, I did my studying, I wanted to see if I could twist it to fit this justice narrative to confirm me in what I was doing that summer, two years ago. But as I did my research, it appeared that maybe the parable was about faith. And I got a little disappointed because I've been a Christian a long time, I've been in the church a long time, and, and faith is this enigmatic thing where sometimes it's a verb, sometimes it's a noun, sometimes it describes what we are. And it just says, um, I guess I'll be honest, it's just kind of a tired word for me. And so me personally, I like to think of it in terms of trust. But so then I continued to study and I was like, okay, it's about prayer. And again, that was a little annoying too, because I wanted it to serve me. I wanted it to fit my paradigm, my mentality, my circumstances, my frame of mind. And so I was frankly a little annoyed, uh, which is, you know, it's the truth. I was annoyed. I was annoyed at God for not saying what I wanted him to say. <laughs> so let's start with what was familiar in this parable to the Jewish audience. They were familiar with a judge, right? And they had some Jewish judges from their own culture. But if the circumstances were advanced, it would go to Roman judges. I think we could probably assume this judge was a Roman judge as he did not fear God and did not respect man. So he didn't respect the people that he was presiding over. What was also familiar and very, very entrenched in their culture in a way that I still 
do not understand, though I've been studying it for years, and this is very common for Africa, the Middle East, and Eastern countries, is an honor and shame culture. So the setting is a courthouse setting or something like it, right? We would probably call it courthouse, but for them, it would be something different. But it was, the community was coming to see this judge execute justice for people who would come to him. And that was familiar with for them. And there was ways you were supposed to behave that would conform to this honor and shame culture. And typically a judge would not want to incur shame. This judge, I guess, did not have a problem with that since the widow kept coming to him. But what was unfamiliar was the widow coming and speaking up for herself. In the Jewish culture and in Israeli law, there uh, at the time, in the time of the Bible, there was such strict laws around widows and, win- uh, widows and orphans. The Lord was very adamant that they be taken care of. So this widow probably did not have a son or a brother to speak up for her because she kept having to come speak up for herself. And no one else stepped in for her and tried to help her. That's also odd. That would be an unfamiliar thing to his to Jesus's audience is that this woman was on her own for a time. We don't know how long, but we do know that she kept coming. Now she kept coming to the point that the judge, even though he doesn't care, is concerned about being embarrassed, is concerned about, finally concerned about actually incurring a a level of shame. And so that is why he decides that he will grant her justice. He will move on her behalf. She probably, more than likely, was uh, had it, was trying to get justice against an adversary who was trying to take away her land or her home. She likely did not have the rights to her land. It would probably belong to her husband or her son. Think of Naomi in the book of Ruth, who lost everything, had to go back to Israel, and her daughter-in-law is the one helping her. So it's just, it's a very interesting situation from... From our point of view, it's not. We're used to seeing, this is unfortunate and sad. This is awful, actually. We're used to seeing widows and orphans not taken care of. They're getting the least that we have to offer, right? That was not the case for this audience, for this Jewish audience. They were used to the Lord putting a high priority on taking care of the widows. Paul goes on in the letters to have strict rules, strict expectation in the churches that he planted to care for widows and orphans. So those are, that's the main unfamiliar thing for this audience is that a widow has to keep coming and her persistence is also what catches their notice, right? Her persistence, because women were not really supposed to be speaking up for themselves a whole lot in that time, especially with Roman influence. They were not supposed to be uh, defending themselves, speaking up for themselves, really being heard a whole lot. So that's also an unfamiliar twist for his audience. And then I think a a really good curve that we see is that Jesus makes an example out of this widow who doesn't belong where she is and where she keeps coming. The Lord makes an example of her and calls her behavior and her actions and her continual bothering of this judge. He calls it faith. He calls it persistent faith. He calls it the kind of faith. He makes example of her of the kind of faith, the kind of behavior and the kind of lifestyle he wants to see of us. He wants to see in the quote unquote elect, which are just those 
who believe in Jesus and want to follow him. And that's us. And this is what he wants to see. He wants to see this persistence. He wants to see this dedication. He wants to see this excitement. He wants to see this boldness and this endurance, even in places we might not belong or think we belong. That's the key. We might not think we belong. And he wants to see us continuing to pursue him through prayer, through prayers for justice. He wants to see us continually to pursue, pursue him and his kingdom in this way. Because of the laws and the expectations in the Israeli culture at this time, this widow should have had justice. She should not have had to keep battering down a judge who didn't care and just decided to get rid of her by giving her justice. She should have had it. And so I find myself, as I read this, wanting to cry out for justice for her. Because she should have had it. She should have been cared for. She should have had a home. She should have had food. It should have been settled. And yet she had to keep showing up in a place that she didn't fit. And no one else expected her to be or wanted her to be. To fight for what she should have already had. So pulling it back to our relationship with the Bible, I came at this wanting to find something that would fit a narrative for me, right? To encourage me, to affirm me, to pump me up, to make me feel good about myself. But the prayer that I prayed and the prayer that I still pray when I approach the Bible and I think is really helpful Especially when we find, want to find something particular. You know, we go to a certain book of the Bible, a certain verse that's catchy. And we just want it to make it make us feel good. We want it to, we want the Bible to confirm the choices that we're making, the actions that we're taking. We don't want to be searched. But Lord, let your word search me. Let your word have its way in me. Not let me have my way with your word. Now, the parables are such a good way for us to start practicing and understanding how to approach the word as not belonging to us, but belonging to the Lord. And we also get to, as we, as we learn to view the Bible through the, through the lens of the people it was actually given to and spoken to in their time, right? That brings us around to understanding that there are other perspectives of the word or on the word around us. Um, that's something I'm just beginning to understand and uh, one place I've been going one person I've been looking to to help me understand uh, is my former youth pastor Eric Knox you guys can find him on Facebook I did talk to him first and asked if I could use his name because I think that the revelation he's getting is intensely amazing life-changing perspective changing super helpful really godly and um, really loving the way he's presenting it, really loving um, and generous. So his name's Eric Knox, and he's been sharing a, a, a people of color lens on the parables lately. And so he actually addressed this parable, uh, and I was actually preparing to come do a podcast episode about it, and I saw his post on Facebook and was rocked. Really, 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 really rocked. And really encouraged because... In all my study of this parable, it kept coming back to, well, it's it's about persistent prayer. It's about persistent prayer. But why is the widow calling out for justice? This 
disenfranchised, this marginalized person who had next to no rights, was supposed to have a defender, but didn't. Why is she crying out for justice? Why is this something that the Lord highlights, that's pinpointed? And it's so gripping. Like some of the parables are really hard to understand. Like the parable of the lost coin. It's like, who throws a party for a lost coin? I still don't get that. But I get a woman showing up where she doesn't belong, asking for justice, demanding justice over and over and over again. That is a story that emotionally tugs on anybody and everybody. So he points out in a post about this parable, which I love, that um, what if this is about, what if the Lord is really getting at persistent prayer for justice? And I think that's true. I think the curve they would have heard the message they would have heard was to cry out in persistent prayer for justice because the pillars of God's throne are justice and righteousness. He wants justice. Look at the laws in the Torah. He wanted the sojourner. He wanted the widow and orphan to be taken care of and righteousness is right relationship with God and right relationship with mankind. It's that horizontal vertical thing, right? The cliched thing that we talk about so frequently in charismatic circles now but it's true so there are a lot of ways to approach the word there are a lot of ways to approach the word we need to understand what it sounded like to the people originally hearing the teachings of Paul and Jesus and the words of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Moses right and then we need to understand different perspectives around us so people of color, right? That's a really big one that someone like me needs to work a little harder to understand because it's not my normal. And I also want to address that in all my study, it kept coming back, the real nugget of this parable kept coming back to prayer when that was missing it because it's persistent prayer for justice, which Jesus loves so much. He loves justice. He loves it. He came to make a way for it, an unimpeded way for justice in the earth. And so what if the general consensus does not equal truth and we need to approach the word, not demanding of it that it serve our interests, but looking at the heart, trying to find the heart of God and, and looking at it through different lenses. So you see, we really can have a relationship with the Bible. We really can have a well-rounded, growing relationship. Sometimes we'll treat it self-servingly. Sometimes we'll try to manipulate and contort the words of God and the words of Paul or the apostles to fit our motivations, to fit our needs. And sometimes we'll have a genuine love for the word where we let it be what it is. We let it be long to the Lord and a gift to us. And we need to be reading it. We need to be in it. And I'm not going to give you some kind of, you know, you, be, you need to be in it every day. You need to be reading this much and that much. Because I grew up with a lot of that and it didn't really, I haven't seen it be that helpful. It didn't help me. But we need to be in it enough, a bit, a good amount. <laughs> and we need to reread things. And if you need to buy a new Bible so you don't keep going back to the same well-worn part of it, 
that's part of the reason I still have this one, even though I don't really trust the translation all the time, um, is because it's still new to me and there aren't well-worn well -worn parts, so I'm seeing new things. And then sometimes I go back to the parts where I've highlighted and written everywhere, and there's more because this does belong to the Lord and he can open it up. He can open it up for us to see more of his heart and his nature, and he can open it up when we consider other, pe other people's point of view when they see it, when they read it. And so I hope that this episode has been an encouragement, and I hope that you stick around for the next episode in a few weeks, just more about our relationship with the word and how sometimes it can be love-hate. <laughs> I've been there. I'm pretty sure I'll be there again. Right now, I really love it, but... Um, I have hated it at times because it didn't serve my needs, <laughs> the needs I thought I had, because it didn't make me feel good about myself and because it wasn't easy. But it is good and it is fun and we get to learn more of what the Lord loves through his word and that's, we need to know what he loves so that we can love it too. And he loves justice and he loves prayer and he loves faith and trust. And in his word, you're going to see things that point back to those not self-serving ways to live. Like I initially approached this parable two years ago. Serve me and my agenda. Right? That was my motivation. But the word serves the Lord's agenda. <laughs> it serves his heart. It displays it. It helps us understand it. So I'll just wrap this up with a prayer. Father, we acknowledge that your word belongs to you. We praise you for that, Lord. We honor you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of your word and thank you that it points to you and your nature. And Lord, I, I ask that you open our eyes and open our hearts and open our understanding, our ability to understand in small doses and in large your heart and what you love, Lord, and that we would see it boldly, that we would see it clearly in your word, and that we would lay down the demands that you and your word fit our agenda and fit our comfort in the name of Jesus. I pray that you all are blessed. Thank you, Eric Knox, for letting me use your name and point people in your direction. And thank you, listeners. In seasons where it seems there is no way through, no way to cope, God has promised to make a way for us in the barren wildernesses of life. We may have known desolate times, but do we know God's view of desolate? Jesus performed two of his greatest miracles in desolate places. It seems, we have misunderstood what desolate means. It seems we have missed all that God can do in a dry place. In this book, Miranda Gollett provides teaching and illustrations from several passages in the Bible that show what God intends for us in desolate and seemingly fruitless times. Part of the Braver Things series, from A Quiet Brilliance Publishing, Desolate Places, Reflections of Hope in Dry Seasons is available in print or on Kindle at Amazon.com.